Hey everyone, this is Matt Kleinman. And John Harris. And we are the producers of the Scienceology Podcast. Um, we're still on hiatus, but we've compiled the first 12 episodes here for you to enjoy. And uh, whether you want to listen to Scientology again, or if you have some friends that might be new to the podcast and haven't heard it yet, this is a great place to start. And they're all here for you to listen to in your car on your way to work or in your home or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, firing range for me. Yep, me too. Speaking of consumption, uh, we wanted to take a quick minute to thank all the sponsors that make Scienceology possible every week. Uh, that includes Garbage Box. Sign up for Garbage Box and have a box of garbage delivered to your home once a week for you and your family to throw out on your own. Uh, Jean Famous Foods at 14th East 34th Street. It's delicious Szechuan cooking. We absolutely love it here at Scienceology. We do. Uh monster mics. Thank you to Monster Mics, the only microphones that make your voice sound like a monster. We actually use monster microphones here at Scientology, believe it or not. Yeah, they're great microphones. Um, we'd also like to thank uh, cockfightingkings.com the premier online blood sports site where you can gamble on chickens killing each other thousands of miles away and not have to risk being kidnapped in a filthy basement somewhere in Tijuana. Get 500 pesos right now to gamble for free when you use the promo code RAZORBLADE. This has really revolutionized how I enjoy cockfighting. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, you can, like you said, you leave it on in the background. It's. Yeah, I leave it on in the background of my uh, computer just sort of during the day mm -hmm. while I'm working. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, it's safe. It's easy. And mm -hmm. the views they get are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you feel like you're in the action. Feel with almost feel the hot blood splattering you. <laughs> you do. You do. I've, every once in a while, I flinch. <laughs> when I see uh, a particular, you've made a little strength. bit of money from cockfightingkings.com. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I am up. Yeah, I'm up about uh, I'm up about two thousand pesos. Right wow! Now. Oh my god, yeah. that's a uh, that's a that's a burrito dinner right there. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, chicken burrito, please. <laughs> Uh, we'd also like to thank uh, the Raytheon Company. Check out the updated GBU-28 Bunker Buster Missile from Raytheon, which can now penetrate up to 30 feet of solid reinforced concrete. Oh, wow. wow. That's about 10 more feet than the GBU-27. Yeah, that is uh, an incredible missile. Um, Cash. that's uh, spelled dollar sign, cent sign, exclamation point, hyphen, cent sign again, at sign hissing snake honda logo uh we actually uh we want to thank them but we don't know what that service is yeah they've kind of made a point of not letting us know what it is it's hip it's cool it's sidecat wow this one's cool sandwich nude the only smartphone app that uses gps software and analytics to determine the time and place you'll most likely be nude and then deliver you a surprise sandwich at that exact moment got a sandwich uh, on the toilet just a couple days ago oh wow that's so cool out of nowhere <laughs> that's the that's the modern world for mm -hmm. you um, let's, we just want to give Ted Cruz a shout out. Just shout out to our boy, Ted Cruz. He didn't give us any money, but. Oh yeah. Ted Cruz 2016. We gave Ted Cruz money. Actually. Yeah. A lot. Most uh, of the money from the other, the other sponsorships. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Xeon Famous Foods. I hope you like Ted Cruz because, uh, your sponsorship money is going right <laughs> to him. And of course, Dr. Smiles premium whippets. Now that's a good whippet. Okay, thanks again to all of our sponsors. Please check them out because we couldn't do the show without their support. And now, without further ado, please enjoy the first 12 episodes of Scientology. Talk to y'all soon. <laughs> it's 
It's an unexplained guy floating around in outer space reading a dirty porno mag called Delicious Ass. Of course people are going to project all their hopes and fears onto him. I'm Jillian Goya-Waxberg, and this is Scienceology. To say space is mysterious is a bit of a cliché, but what astronomer Howard Bosch has been studying is something that truly can't be explained. Hold on just a sec, and oh, there he is. Howard has his eye in the lens of a giant telescope at the top of Mauna Loa in Hawaii. He beckons me over. Okay, now just take a look right in here. Okay. See him? As I peer into space, an image comes into focus. Oh, yeah, there he is. Wow. Way out on the other side of Jupiter, there is a man just drifting there. That's right, a man. He has no spacesuit. He just hangs there in dirty corduroy pants, a plaid shirt, and suspenders. He is wearing what look like New Balance running shoes, and he's just floating there, reading a pornography magazine called Delicious Ass. Did you see him flip the page yet? Yeah, there he goes. Now, he never masturbates to it. He just flips through it. In fact, he's been reading Delicious Ass magazine for at least 35 years. That's when Bosch first discovered the man, now just known as Space Roy. We don't know who Space Roy is, how he got there. We definitely don't know how he's alive. And the mysteries don't end there. As far as we can tell, there has never been a print magazine called Delicious Ass. Everything we learn brings up more questions than answers. For example, a recent probe that flew by Space Roy discovered that he has a Bluetooth thing in his ear. How did that get there? Though only officially discovered a few decades ago, there is evidence Professor Bosch is not the first person to notice Space Roy. In Galileo's notes, you can see references to a mysterious figure he saw in space. Now, Galileo stopped mentioning it because of pressure from the church, but you can find in his writings allusions to Space Roy. Of course, being Italian, Galileo calls him Space Tony. Whether he has been observed before or not, Bosch says he can't help but feel a kind of personal relationship with Space Roy. Sometimes I look out there and I'm just convinced he knows I'm looking at him. Why do you think that? This one night I was looking out and damned if he didn't look up from his magazine, stare me square in the eye, and raise his middle finger. Though NASA has plans to send a probe directly to Space Roy in 2019, Congress has been reluctant to fund it as they fear backlash against a mission to investigate a known consumer of pornography. Until then, it's anyone's guess just who Space Roy is. I like to think he's just a smart guy that figured out how to live out there on his own and just left the planet for good. Sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? What we do know for sure is that Roy is out there, and he never seems to get bored of those delicious asses. This has been Goya Waxberg Chen with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end this week with a science noise. Oh, Oh, shit. Oh, my fucking beakers. How the fuck am I supposed to do my science now? If you can identify this noise, tweet us your answer at ScienceologyPod or we'll shoot the president. Chunky hazards posed by increasingly chunky soups are collateral damage we're just going to have to accept if we want to make progress. I'm Waxberg Chen Ryan, and this is Scientology. Hold on a second. Mmm. 
Just like millions of other Americans, I love a hearty, chunky, steaming hot bowl of soup filled with big hunks of meat and vegetables. But I often wonder, is this as chunky as soup gets? Well, it turns out I'm not the only one asking this question. Researchers attempting to make a chunkier soup have traditionally run up against the Hellinger limit, the mathematical constant described in 1957 by physicist Maxwell Hellinger that determines the absolute chunk saturation point of a soup at sea level. Overcoming the Hellinger limit would increase soup revenues by an estimated $19 billion. That's no small potatoes, if you'll pardon the pun. Thick rich broth is the only true universal language. But Susan Cho, head of theoretical soup physics at the University of California, Berkeley, says that her research may have found a way around the Hellinger limit. the traditional method, you're limited to adding meat, carrots, and potatoes at a rate of three chunks per second per second. Anything more than that, and you've crossed the threshold into thin stew, correct? Right, and a thin stew is not a chunky soup. Cho and her team have developed a soup accelerator that can sustain an exponentially chunkier soup, albeit only for a few seconds. Is this the apparatus here? Yes, it creates a containment field within the chamber, and for a split second... You mean a split pea second? No. The soup will actually exist in two places at once, allowing it to withstand theoretically limitless chunkiness. Once we determine how to hold the field indefinitely, the sky's the limit, chunk-wise. I've never seen a soup accept chunks so easily in my entire life. With God as my witness, I swear this is true. And the taste. Well, the taste is out of this world. Okay, put your spoon in now. I've never tasted anything so chunky. Amazing, right? Your stomach might bleed a little. My stomach did bleed a little. Then it bled a lot. This has been Chen Ryan O'Hara with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end this week with a quote from the Holy Bible. Revelations 21.8 But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Astrophysicists knew that Galaxy X was out there because of its gravitational field. And finally, we found it. Kind of like when you're looking for your sweater forever and your mom always knows where it is. <laughs> sure. Are you a mom? I'm Ryan O'Hara-Wen, and this is Scienceology. Scientists have long believed that there is a dwarf galaxy consisting mostly of dark matter orbiting the Milky Way. Now, woman scientist Dr. Sunita Chowdhury has discovered proof. Hi, oh, it's super cute in here. It's like a real office. Both scientists and woman scientists have long predicted the existence of the shadow galaxy, but its location has been extremely difficult to pinpoint because it is very dim and lies in the same plane as the Milky Way disk. We've long predicted that there may be something out there that our instruments couldn't detect because Chowdhury, of the who is a professor of astrophysics, not elementary education or nursing says that this represents a major breakthrough. Using deep space telemetry, we were able to scan the regions just outside the Milky Way's arms. We Dr. Chowdhury is a small, slender woman in her 30s with shoulder-length dark hair. She's wearing delicate gold hoop earrings and a teal sweater over dark blue slacks. Her fingernails are short but feminine. 
she's really pretty. She definitely had other options than being a scientist. And that's how I discovered a new galaxy. Fascinating. But there's so much more to the story. It took us years to search each possible region of the Milky Way where... I'm sorry, what is that noise? I'm so sorry. Our science microphone isn't calibrated for such high voices talking for so long. But your voice is just as high. <laughs> sure it is, sweetheart. Let me just fix it. There we go. Please continue your chit-chat, Dr. Chowdhury. All right. As I was saying, it took us years of researching quadrant by quadrant to find exactly what Mrs. What Chowdhury is trying to say we were is that she and her team of men, they found it using data from the European Southern Observatory. Sunita says that if Galaxy you know that X was visible X to the naked eye, it would be near the southern constellation Norma. However, the four marker stars, or Cepheid stars, are too dim to see without an infrared telescope, according to Sunny. ultimately, those stars are what allowed me to find Galaxy X. You go, girl. Why would you say that to me? For Scienceology, I'm Mr. O'Hara Wen Perez. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end with a song from Professor Lowe, the saddest scientist in the world. Are we better now that we've pursued knowledge? Are we better now that we've learned? Do facts even help us, or do they just frustrate us? Are we better off knowing nothing at all? Uh, you know, I, I do get scared to carry heavy or fragile things because you never know when, oh God, oh God, oh God, it's happening, it's happening. I'm fading away! I'm Wen Perez-Madison, and this is Scienceology. Existence in our shared physical reality is something most of us take for granted. We exist in this world until we die. But that's not the case for Benjamin Sachs of San Diego, California. Um, yeah, I mean, I fade away. It's something that happens to me. I'll be hanging out with my wife and my kids, and then suddenly my body starts going translucent, and I'll just start fading out of existence. I'll be gone for a few minutes, and then I just pop right back. It's plagued me for my life. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I'm fading away. Benjamin has a rare condition that causes his body to randomly and without warning slip out of existence. As you may imagine, it's made life a little tough. It's affected me my entire life. Uh, I faded away when I first met my wife. I faded away on our wedding day. I faded away when my daughter was born. It's an inconvenience, and it hurts every time. It's never something, oh, God, oh, no, 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 I'm fading away. Okay, so he's just faded away. Scientists from UCSD have been unable to explain what is happening to Benjamin or where he goes. All they know is that every few hours he will fade away and then pop back into existence soon after. So I'm sitting here in Benjamin Sachs' home and he's been gone for about three or four minutes. Whoa! Oh, uh, I'm back. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. God. This is incredible. I have to ask, what would happen if I, say, stuck my hand in the place where you were? Would you fade back with my hand inside you? I think so. That's why I'm always worried about crossing the road or standing near wandering animals. I could fade back with them and say, oh God, oh no, I'm fading away.
During our conversation, Benjamin faded away over a dozen times. Uh, it's just a way of life for me at this point. Hold on. Oh, that was just a sneeze. <laughs> oh no, I'm fading away! But that doesn't mean Benjamin doesn't have a little fun with it sometimes. Uh, um, you know, this is a little racy, uh, but my wife kind of likes it when I fade away while we're making love. Uh, she likes the feeling of me fading back into her. <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe that's too much information. Oh God, oh God, oh no, I'm fading away! Benjamin's life is far from ordinary, but it makes you wonder. Aren't we all sometimes, in our own ways, fading away? I was just messing around there. This guy is a freak. This has been Perez Madison Pauline with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end this week with a clip from the Whalecast, the only podcast for whales. Sometimes pass out now from regular masturbating. I think my brain is trying to save itself because it thinks it's about to get shocked by an electrical wheel. I'm Madison Pauline Tarkanian, and this is Scienceology. Since the dawn of mankind, humans have sought new and innovative ways to come super hard. From autoerotic asphyxiation to G spot stimulators to 3D printed fuck dolls. The march forward in coming hard technology has been swift and steady. But Johns Hopkins researcher David Rollins believes the field should get back to nature, specifically via South American electric eels. Oh, wow, they're just swimming around right there. Are we safe? Yes, we're fine. Just don't disturb the masturbators. Rollins theorizes that if an electric eel is touched at the exact right climactic second, the subject will come harder than anyone in human history. Yeah, our 12 volunteers here are masturbating in front of individual fish tanks, each containing a live electrophorus electricus. Just as the volunteer reaches climax, he or she has been instructed to grab the eel. So what I'm seeing here is a man who came so hard he lost control of his bowels. Great orgasm, Alan. Dr. Rollins says this research is a marathon, not a sprint. A lot of trial and error to hit that precise orgasmic interval to make the volunteer come harder than ever before. I spoke with one of the test subjects, Alan S. Uh, well, sometimes you grab it too late and you get shocked after you come. And then sometimes the eel bites you while you're coming. And then you also get shocked. Then that conditions you to be really scared to come, even when you're just doing it regular at home. Have you noticed yourself coming any harder? Yeah, shock makes you come pretty hard, one out of 20 times or so. But now I forget my dad's name sometimes, and I can't see green no more. The color green? Yeah. Sadly, Dr. Rollins passed away shortly after our interview with him. He was found dead in his lab after having ejaculated his own skeleton out of his body.
I'm Pauline Tarkanian-Ryan for Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end this week by handing things over to my brother, Troubled Andrew. The Jews control the nickel mines! Everything is going to be in the cloud. Our memories, our personalities, our very essence. Why shouldn't there be frisky raccoons up there as well, knocking over our virtual garbage cans? I'm Tarkanian Ryan Golf, and this is Scienceology. Cloud-based computing is advancing at an exponential pace. Many computer scientists, such as Eric Sullivan, believe that in a generation's time, we will be able to upload our entire consciousness to the cloud where we will have eternal electronic life. Individuals will one day be able to instantaneously interface with all of humanity and and benefit from its collective knowledge and experience. Oh, man. But Sullivan thinks this new existence could benefit from a little mischievousness. Cloud life will be too orderly, too regimented. My research will eventually allow us to upload the consciousness of raccoons to the cloud so they can get their little paws into everything and cause some ruckus, the scamps. So what does this raccoon here have on its head? Big Chipper here is wearing a modified Oculus Rift helmet and VR gloves to acclimate him to the landscape he'll encounter in the cloud. Right now I've got him washing some digital crawfish in a virtual stream to work on his dexterity in this new context. Once in the cloud, Sullivan says Big Chipper and his furry pals will run rampant causing anomalies that are the terrestrial equivalent of coming through pet doors and stealing cat food, defecating on top of cars, and scaring the daylights out of people by scurrying out from behind compost heaps. Just imagine, you're strolling through the ones and zeros of the electronic ether without a care in the world, and then whoops, a raccoon consciousness will pop out of nowhere and steal the e-hot dog you're e-eating. While most experts agree that the cloud should house a multitude of furry raccoon consciousnesses, Old Man Thader has already said he'll blast any of the little bastards with his digital shotgun if they get into his virtual root cellar. This has been Ryan Golf Jerusalem with Scienceology. And as always, we end this week with the sound of the next great plague being released into the world. (coughs) Whoa, that's strong. I'm a lab groupers can search it, find and found me the mean right creasing up a procedure's real breakthrough. I'm Sienna Jafari O'Neill, and this is Scienceology. Golf Jerusalem Boudin will be back next week when he finishes his research on elephant smooching. Cancer. The very word strikes fear into our hearts. You would be hard-pressed to find someone alive today whose life hadn't been affected by some form of cancer, whether a loved one has been a victim or they themselves have battled the disease. But according to University of Glasgow cancer researcher Ewan McLeod, we may be on the verge of eradicating humanity's greatest scourge. Oh, I'd love a cup of tea, thank you. So I hopped on a plane to Scotland to learn more about his findings and what this means for millions of cancer sufferers worldwide. 
So could you just tell us exactly how this works? Lab equipment dries and they'll find the right, right? So your patient is sick as it saves a splash a hand of time, right? And then starting the scheme will sooner or later, soon is better at the equipment arise. You just gotta get there sooner or later. It's so simple. My god, that is brilliant. Yeah, you're trying to do a lot of surgical athletic patients, right? And no and you don't have to the diet depending on the rate of centers, dose is all you want. So cancer patients could eventually administer this treatment to themselves in their own homes at minimal cost. Hey, for a nine-rate mosadose, it's greater than for three. Do you guys on collateral reset the lung with the right prolectomy so there's a right time for you fucking bastards out there, eh? <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. What's more, McLeod says that it appears his findings could completely cure people suffering from late-stage pancreatic and brain cancers. These are the forms of the disease with the worst prognoses. Palatial morphologies and lots of lashes treated on the trapezoid or cisplatin carcinoma means it treats a terpiodriste depending mediatotomy recovery rates and times. So, theoretically, you could save cancer patients even just minutes before they die. Hey, if we're lucky. <sighs> wow. McLeod is currently accepting volunteers for his next round of trials, which he expects will have a minimum 90% success rate. 90%. So, to apply, you just computer type in browser, chroma foxaferi, you're right, clicking type a cancer normal long enough to help at the lad, the edu. So, listeners, if you or someone you know is suffering from late-stage cancer, please contact Dr. McLeod's team. Anyone who applies will be accepted. Uh, doctor, could you please give that information again? You click a clip a cancer normal long enough to help at the lad, the edu. Thank you. Wow. Amazing. I just want to give people... A wee bit of help. Thank you to the amazing Dr. McLeod for taking time to talk with us. And once again, if any of our listeners want to learn more about Dr. McLeod's research, they can find it online at www.cancerresearchpersonal.edu. This has been Starling Sienna Jafari with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funnier Die News, and as always, we end by playing the episode you just heard backwards at 10 times the speed. You know you've been in the lab a long time when your kid's first words are duck vagina. I'm Hurley Starling Sienna, and this is Scienceology. Jerusalem Boudin Margot will be back next week if his piss is clean. Hi. Hi, I'm Morton Scott. I'm meeting nice Dr. Morton Scott at his lab at Columbia University. Dr. Scott is an ornithologist, and he's studying the vagina of a single duck named Lupita. And this is Lupita. Oh, look at her. A beautiful. Yeah, she's a... Uh, Ducks breed by forced copulation, which is a nice way of saying rape. But instead of using pepper spray, ducks have a unique defense mechanism. To keep the sperm of male ducks they don't like from reaching their eggs, female ducks have developed surprisingly complex vaginas with twists, turns, dead ends, true labyrinths. And so far, none are more complex than the vagina of Lupita. Her vagina is so dense with false paths and loop arounds that we have yet to find the ovaries, actually. So how long have you been studying Lupita? I've been mapping Lupita's vaginal maze for six years now. Wow. 
And how much time does the average duck vagina take to nap? Only about 10 minutes, so Lupita's obviously very special. <laughs> You've got a very complicated lady on your hands. <laughs> Dr. Scott and his team map the vagina using a small camera attached to a 300-foot-long wire. I sat in on one of their many attempts to discover the ovaries. Okay, initiating approach. We're approaching sector 5F. Okay, continue through pathway 5F113. Three doors in 113? Yeah, label left to right, uh, Alpha, Beta, Charlie. Uh, let's start with Alpha. Starting with Alpha. Going around Western Loop. Continuing. Continuing. Loop veering east now. Adjusting cam. Sorry. You must be good luck. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've never been this far before. Loop veering north now. All right, hold. Deep north. So we might Deep north. The end of the shit. God damn it! Fuck. I don't know. I I thought I thought that might have been the one. Let's pull it out of her. Rack it up. We'll do beta this time. reach the end of Lupita's vagina. I have to wonder, did it at all make you stop and question why you spent so long on a duck vagina in the first place? Well, you always want to reach the end of a maze, sure. And it's frustrating when you don't get to the finish line, so to speak, but, you know, this is about filling in another piece of that big puzzle of life, so, you know, she's only the third duck vagina mapped out of 300 scheduled. Have you made any important discoveries exploring Lupita's vagina thus far? You know, we uh, actually discovered some old lost camera equipment that we did not put there. Wow. So other scientists have tried to navigate her vaginal maze? You know, it certainly seems that way. And I think it's safe to say that Lupita's confounded science for a very long time. So what happens when you do finally reach her eggs? Huh. Uh, well, I'll probably grab a beer and give Lupita a sardine and move on to mapping the next duck vagina. While we continue to learn from Lupita's vagina, perhaps the most important lesson bestowed upon us thus far is that in science, a dead end is not the end. Hey Mike, can you have one of the undergrads lube the camera back up? Thanks. No, the end only comes when we reach the sack of unfertilized duck eggs that are our dreams. I'm Priyanka Hurley-Starling for Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funnier Dynamics. And as always, we end with my favorite experiment, trying to fit this whole microphone into my mouth. No, 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 no. no. You, you, you break it. You break it. It's expensive. Eventually, we're going to try to see if God can be killed. We're going to run other tests on it first, but yeah, we're going to attempt to murder God. I'm Sunita Priyanka Hurley, and this is Scienceology. Boudin Margot Michel will be back next week when he changes colors back to the good one. For thousands of years, mankind has wished to capture the Lord our God and trap him inside a tiny enclosure. However, it's not until recently that scientists working at UCLA in California were able to do so. There's God. He is angry, huh? 
Oh, uh, yeah, there's a big guy. He is a real mean son of a bitch. Sticks, huh? <laughs> yeah, God uh, smells like hot garbage. It is disgusting. Gotta clean that cube. <laughs> try to keep on top of it. <laughs> According to theological physicist Stanley Weiss, after decades of trying to capture God inside cubes made of thousands of different materials, including steel, solid granite, gelatin, and plutonium, all of which God quickly escaped, a simple plastic polymer developed in the 1970s turned out to be the key to God's imprisonment. It's actually the same type of case that sports memorabilia collectors put signed baseballs and footballs inside of to protect him. It, it took years and years of trial and error, but we finally discovered that this particular plastic could contain the one true God and nothing he does, he can't break out of it. There's nothing he can do. Is, is he creating a plague of locusts somewhere? <laughs> yep, it's only bothering him. Keeping God trapped is quite easy. Vice said tricking him into the three foot by three foot plastic cube was another matter altogether. Uh, luring God into a trap is harder than you think. He's, he's pretty smart. We tried everything, taking his name in vain, a gay wedding ceremony, bestiality, just all sorts of sinning that we thought might draw his wrath. So what finally tricked the big old dummy? Genetic uh, engineering. It turns out nothing pisses him off more than people playing God. God has quite the him complex, believe it or not. And what does he eat? Oh, uh, prayers. Oh, of course. Obviously. Uh, would you like to feed him? Could I? I pray to thee, God, Father Almighty, please allow my sister's pregnancy to go well, for her to have a happy and healthy child, and for her to not lose too much blood. Oh, oh, oh you like that one. Man, he likes the whispered ones a lot. <laughs> well, I meant it. They're sweeter, I think. Now that the Lord has been trapped, Vice and his team are still trying to determine what can be done with him. I mean, he's not a leprechaun. You know, there's no pot of gold, metaphorically speaking. But if we break his will, we think we can make him create whatever we want out of thin air. Like if I wanted a Lamborghini, or like a new Apple Watch, or six arms, or a pot of gold. So he's more like a genie with infinite wishes than a leprechaun. Exactly, yeah. He'll, he'll essentially be our slave. And to that end, we've been shocking him with electricity, reading him passages from Nietzsche, and uh, blowing a bunch of weed smoke in there to watch him act all high and stupid. Check this out. <laughs> he is high as shit. Yeah, oh, look at him. Wow. Is he, uh, is he creating tiny exact copies of the earth in there now? Oh yeah, when he gets really baked, that's what he does. We just flush those tiny little earths uh, down the toilet. <laughs> Are there, are there little versions of us on those ones? Whoa, yeah, shit. I guess so. Eh, fuck it. Since God was captured six weeks ago, all war has ended and not a single person on Earth has died. This has been Tepperman Sunita Priyanka with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And as always, we end with Professor Guffenheimer's wacky tip to keep things super silly today. Wear your necktie around your forehead and see if anyone notices. <laughs> Our manta ray is the largest ever in captivity. Oh, and he's swimming over now. And as you can see, it's wingspan. It's so... God, it's so beautiful. It's... 
Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, what was I saying? I'm Meji Tepperman Sunita, and this is Scienceology. Goya's Zhang Muhammad will be back next week after he finishes battling the flock of crows that have been vexing him so. The world-renowned Monterey Bay Aquarium got a new giant resident this week, a manta ray. We have over 35,000 animals at the aquarium, but nothing quite like the manta ray. The majestic manta ray can have a wingspan of up to 23 feet, and the new mesmerizing manta in Monterey is nearly 19 feet from wingtip to wingtip. I met with marine biologist Cameron Escher to see this unique and amazing fish. So you can see it start to swim by. Wow, that is incredible. When he swims by, sometimes I can't help but stare. About 60, 60 pounds of food a day. It's a big lunch. Notoriously difficult to keep in captivity, the aquarists here are taking every precaution. Having a sensitive animal species like this here is taken very seriously. You can tell the stress level of the animal by looking at its two cephalic fins on either side of its mouth. Here it comes. Um, so I'm looking for signs of... Microphone? Yeah, th- thank you, right. This hypnotic creature has so far been a big draw at the aquarium. It's really exciting to see so many people coming. It's just so much. Huh? Uh, say excuse me, Kyle. Uh, hey, mind if my kid gets by you? Sorry. You guys are just standing here staring at the... I wasn't the only one impressed. I took some video of the ray and brought it back to the office to show our editor, Matt. This is from the aquarium? Yeah, check it out. Oh, wow. Yeah. This has been Cassio Maji Tepperman with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funnier Die News. And as always, we end with an adult man making motorcycle noises with his mouth. Hey, ladies. Wheelie. Oh, whoa. So they go to hit my eye, you know, but then they're like, well, which one's his eye and which one's David Duchovny's eye? Then the dude hits my leg and I'm like, my real eye is on you. Boom. I'm Hoagie Cassiomaggi, and this is Scienceology. 
Michelle Gromowski Rommel will be back next week if the bucket lets his head out. When Darwin came up with his theory of natural selection, he probably never thought it would be used for this. Those are the sounds of a brutal mixed martial arts fight at a gym in Jersey City. And what MMA fighter Gar Ronson has been doing would make Darwin proud. I got a face tattooed on my shoulder, a face tattooed on my back. Anyway, that isn't my face, I have a face. That's right, tattoos of faces. When someone goes to hit my actual face, they get confused because I have super real looking faces all over me. Gar is taking a strategy right out of the animal kingdom's camouflage playbook. Just as orcas and certain species of moth have false eyes to confuse predators into thinking their head is somewhere it's not, Gar has tattoos of human faces all over his body, and it's helping him win. So give me a tour of some of your other faces. Uh, right here, I got the face of Tom Hanks, the face of Stevie Wonder. Uh, I got Abraham Lincoln. I, mean, I don't know why some dudes fight me and think it's a good idea to punch Lincoln, but hey, that's his shit. It's all thanks to the work of his coach and evolutionary biologist, Robert Feldman. Feldman's theory is that it isn't just faces that are important, but famous faces. The human mind recognizes famous faces as faces faster than just random faces. So that's why Gar has the cast of Homeland tattooed all over his stomach. Right, exactly. When you're fighting him, everything is a blur. So if you're able to make out a face, any face, you're going to go for it before realizing, oh, wait. I just punched Claire Danes. So, how has this strategy been working out? Yeah, I get so confused fighting Gar. According to Jib Rothman, one of Gar's recent opponents, it's kind of like fighting a riddle. It's like, got him in the face. Nope. Got him in the face. Nope. Sounds tough. It's like, how am I supposed to win when I'm fighting like seven guys in there and then boom, I'm headbutted by Manny Patinkin. I think he's got Manny Patinkin on his fist. But of course, as with all success in life, it comes at a price. Can you tell us about what's on your face that helps you win? Oh yeah, I don't even have a face anymore. Uh, I had it tore off surgically and got testicles tattooed there. Everyone knows not to punch a guy's testicles, so they never punch my face. Does it affect your day-to-day life? Well, no one in my life can look at me without being disgusted. I can't go to restaurants and my, my wife and kids are long gone, but you know, I got my face to Sakimi Company. I haven't made a mistake. Never I will be. Okay, so Gar is kissing his tattoos, but to me it looks more like a giant pair of testicles are being rubbed all over Whoopi Goldberg's face. But Gar is about to face the fight of his life against opponent Cal Harpin, a man who has prosopagnosia or face blindness, a brain disorder that means he can't recognize faces. I'm not too worried about it. For this fight, we're going to try a whole different evolutionary strategy. Symbiosis. I'm going to get covered in CM enemies, so when he hits me, he's going to get stung. And if the training session I witnessed is any indicator, this new strategy is going to work out just fine. Oh, what the fuck, man? That stings. This has been Raquel Hoagie Cassio with Scienceology. Scienceology is a production of Funny or Die News. And 
As always, we end with some laboratory mice squeaks that have been loaded into a synthesizer and used to play in the Hall of the Mountain King. A fish that knows it's a fish is very self-conscious about it. It's, it's always thinking, is this exactly how everyone expects me to swim? Am I conforming to everyone's idea of what a fish is because I can't help it? Or, or because I'm too weak-willed to figure out my own voice? I'm Jupiter Raquel Hoagie, and this is Scienceology. Gromowski Ramel Susan will be back next week after he's done covering the annual scientist orgy at Cape Canaveral. When marine biologist Lawrence Figler began studying the fish mind, he had no idea what he would discover. Wow, this is great. This yeah. is a lot of water in these tanks. Yeah, yeah, well, a lot of filters, a lot of water, a lot of fish. You ever seen this many fish before? Um, actually, I have no idea how many fish I've ever seen at once. Figler shows me his lab. It's full of hundreds of fish of all kinds, but he gestures towards one in particular. There he is. Hey there, sweetie. It's a white nine-inch long koi splattered with elegant red splotches, and you can almost tell something is different about this fish. And there is, because according to Figler, this fish knows it's a fish. Fish can learn things. They learn where the food comes from, where the hiding is. I applied these cognitive abilities to having this fish learn it was a fish. How do you teach a fish what a fish is? I gave him a fish. Now, bear with me because this gets a little technical. What Figler did was he took a smaller fish and put him in a tiny little tank. And he put that tank on a tiny little table. Then he took that tiny little table with a tank on top and put it inside the aquarium with the koi. I wanted the fish to think, hey, what is this little thing trapped in a box with me? Oh, wait a minute. Am I too trapped in a box? Am I a fish? And then the fish would realize he is indeed a fish. How long did it take before the fish knew it was a fish? 
Well, what happened was the fish's fish kept dying because he wasn't taking good care of his fish. The fish was being sadistic without even realizing it. Exactly. But then I took another step and I dressed as a fish so that the fish would see me as himself and understand that he, too, was a fish in this situation. And this wasn't easy. Figler had to act like a fish for his fish for days. Uh, at first, I accidentally taught the fish it was a man. Oh, no. Yeah, it uh, started trying to jump out of its tank to breathe and eat human lunch. She was sometimes fish. She was sometimes fish. And it wasn't just the fish that had difficulty with its identity. There was definitely a moment there when I was trying to teach the fish that it was a fish that I learned that I was a fish. Wow. What was that like? It's terrifying. I reacted violently to anything eel-shaped and could only respond to questions with various glub-glub sounds. What snapped you out of it? After a few days, the fish food gave me no nourishment and I began to waste away. Then, when my body didn't float to the top of anywhere, I knew, I'm no fish. But then, with Figler acting as a fish for his fish so his fish could understand its fish was a fish, something just clicked. I looked in the koi's eye and I could see the change. The fish knew he was a fish. And, and right then, the fish took some of his own fish food and fed it to his fish. So what's life like for a fish that knows it's a fish? After learning it was a fish, the fish realized it was a prisoner and that its life was inconsequential. It kept trying to jump out of the tank and kill himself. So what's the purpose? I mean, why bother to teach a fish that it's a fish at all? Well, I'm very famous now. Since Teaching his fish it was a fish, Figler has already started teaching another fish that it is king of the fish, just to watch it be emotionally destroyed when it learns that this is not true. For Scienceology, I'm Border Jupiter Raquel. Scienceology is a production of Funnier Die News. And as always, we end with the last words of a dying man who wished that he had pursued his love of science instead of going into finance. <sighs> I had so many hypotheses I wanted to test. Ideas and knowledge I wanted to pursue. I, I threw it all away, chasing the almighty dollar. What a waste. I wasted my life. That's a good whippet. <laughs> good whippets roll. <laughs> 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 <laughs>